Welcome to our coffee, Impact Coffee series. The first that we launched today is going to be related to migration. Uh, and it, it is just for chance, but you know that we have we've been dealing in Spain with a, a migration crisis with the Moroccan people. So it couldn't be more like actual, the topic that we are discussed today. And this is not going to be um, more diverse or different the way in which we think we can tackle this uh, humanitarian crisis. So these coffees are made for people to innovate and think in different ways and think in impact investing as a way of solving uh, social problems. So this is our, our first coffee, but there is going to be a series of them in which we'll be uh, dealing with different social problems in a, in a different way. Uh, far from granting and donations, we really think in another different ways or more sustainable ways to, to solve these problems. And we also want to um, attract talent from around the world uh, to explain to us here in Spain or everywhere when you want to join our coffees, different ways, modern ways, more sustainable ways of uh, dealing with social problems. So um, today we have two really, really good speakers that are going to share their views with you. I will allow them to introduce themselves, but what re they really bring here, they're Spanish, so this is good. <laughs> and they are, they are working in international financial institutions. So every time we hear in Spain about Banco Mundial, the World Bank or El Banco Iberoamericano, it means that they are dealing with um, like the macro problems in economy, but they are beyond that giving innovative solutions to these macro problems that could be used in a micro environment like or social problems in Spain. So uh, I will allow them to introduce themselves, Carlos Reyes and Concepcion Aiza, and I will later come back and uh, make them questions for us to learn. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mariangel. It's a pleasure to be here and it's a pleasure to be with all of you. As Mariangel has mentioned, my name is Carlos, uh, Carlos Reyes. I work for the International Finance Corporation, which is part of the World Bank Group. The International Finance Corporation is a multilateral institution whose objective is to foster private sector coin into emerging markets. It was started in 1957, started originally as a debt financing institution, the first uh, loan that we gave was for Siemens of Germany to go to Brazil. And since then, we have now a balance sheet of about $100 billion. We do roughly $11 billion of transactions for our own account, and we mobilize from third party another $11 billion. The majority is in project finance, but we do about $2 billion of equity between $1 to $2 billion in a given year, and the remainder, eight to nine, tends to be project finance. And we are as part of the World Bank Group, very much focused on fragile countries and trying to put what we call financial firepower into solving social issues. So impact investment has been, from more point of view, in our DNA since our foundation. And as Maria Angeles was mentioned, it is by chance that now the migrant crisis is very much upfront in, in the Spanish newspapers and in the Spanish media, but this is something that we've been dealing for quite a while and what we try is to, and we will talk in more detail, move the, 
debate more from the humanitarian crisis to a solutions point of that crisis. Thank you, Carlos. And thank you very much, Maria Angeles, for, for inviting us today to, to be here. So my name is Concepcion Aiza, and I also work at the part of, of the of, uh, World Bank, but I work uh, uh, what is called um, uh, IBRD, which is like the public sector. And there we develop uh, solutions also, uh, for sustainability uh, for governments and, uh, and sustainable and SOEs, which are uh, public enterprises. And as part of this, we, we have been dealing with one of the topics that we are to going to be talking here today, right? Which is what do you do with the refugees and migrants population and what we also call IDPs, internal displaced people inside, inside the country. Thank you. Very happy to be here today. Yeah, we are all together here in, uh, in value space and it's been, we're very lucky to, thanks to the pandemic. Uh, Carlos and Concepcion are now in Madrid and uh, we have been able to share our space with them and really longing for you to be here with us in like we were doing before all the events we were doing before in a presidential way. So um, the... Um, my team has wrote to me a few words regarding migration and it's it has made me think a lot because it is true that migration has been like very close or uh, synergic or or it was the story of of uh, humanity it's the story of migration and and this is a reality but what is happening now uh, is that probably um, in in the time in, in a certain period of time it is happening more often and we have different reasons now obliging people to migrate some of them are climate this is new it wasn't before conflict has been more often a cause of migration economic um, reasons also but what i really feel is that um this uh, that is now called a humanitarian crisis is not probably a crisis anymore, is a, a problem or a situation which with, we are gonna have to deal in the future. And as we got the pandemic and no one was um, able to get rid of it, uh, it is um, for us more, we can feel it more that maybe sometime we will be a, a refugee because things are happening globally so fast. And with the pandemic, there was not respect for anyone, any country, nothing. So uh, now more than ever, this problem is not a problem of Syria or Morocco, it's a global problem. And any of us could be sometime dealing with, with being a, a refugee. So my first question, is that uh, we've considered always uh, migration crisis as humanitarian crisis, but there is a different point of view of, of seeing them. Uh, sometimes this uh, humanitarian crisis has developed into political crisis too. And I would like to know, to know more about what initiatives your, both your institutions you're working in has been taking place to deal with these problems. Absolutely, and, and I think the, the intro, my angel, is, 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 is duly noted. I mean, at some point in time, many of the countries that now are receiving immigrants, they themselves were the, the source of those immigrants and, and therefore 
that humanitarian crisis can happen to anyone at any point in time. Anyone can be a, a refugee and the refugee can be for political reasons, for climate reasons, but more often than not for economic reasons. And I think first and foremost, institutions like, like ours, what it tends is focus not only on the root of the problem, but migrants into uh, the receiving country, how can we move the narrative and the dynamic from them being an, a burden to these receiving countries to being a source of, of sustainable uh, economic development. And therefore, one of the initiatives that, for instance, we, we tend to do is focus all resources in terms of creating economic independence. As an example, and, and we're going to talk in more details about this podcast, um, IFC is very much involved in one of the largest refugee camps in the world, which is in Northern Korea. It's called the Kakuma Kobe camp. And this is a camp that has been uh, in operation for nearly 25 years. It was started in the early, mid, early to mid 1990s and has refugees from South Sudan, Burundi, Rwanda, Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, Somalia. So from, from a very diverse set of countries in the region. And it has right now about 160,000 people. To put it into context for, for those of you that are listening to this podcast and you are in Spain, this is equivalent to a mid-sized Hispanic city. So for instance, Badajoz, which is in the Southwest of Spain is about 150,000 people. So moving that economy from being dependent on NGOs to being self-sustainable, being able to create jobs, being able to address the root causes of why that people have migrated is, is what my institution tries to focus very much at the micro level. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Carlos. So uh, yeah, going back to your introduction, uh, Maria Angeles, I think actually Carlos and I, we are good examples of economic migrants, right? We, we moved to the States for job and because of economy, right? And for work reasons. So I think nowadays we are moving more and more towards uh, a society where this is just part of the, of, of, of the new normal, right? Movements on, of people, regardless of whether they are triggered by, uh, by conflict, by climate change or by, by jobs and, and economic uh, reasons. And uh, inside the initiatives that we have developed so far for the for 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 the for these movements of people, one of the ones that got the actually the World Bank Presidential Award on Innovation, it's called the Global Concessional Financing Facility, and I would say that one of the key drivers for uh, for the success of this platform is that it's not just looking. For the uh, for solving problems in the host communities or the refugees communities, but actually in both of them, and uh, actually uh, we believe that that's one of the key reasons and key uh, sectors of uh, uh, where in in uh, we need to to develop further, right? The, uh, how to integrate the host community with the refugee community, and and to uh, in doing this and by doing this. 
to develop further and to improve the quality of life of both uh, education systems, health systems, infrastructure systems, all of this. And this facility was created uh, after the Syrian crisis. It started in the Middle East and North Africa region. And the first benefiting countries were just um, Jordan and Lebanon. But nowadays, it, uh, under the President uh, Obama, it became a global one. And, and nowadays we also, we are dealing with refugee crisis in, uh, in Colombia and Ecuador due to the, to the Venezuelan uh, migrants. I love to hear your opinions and your work and your experiences because it makes like a positive statement on what we have always considered a crisis very, very difficult to solve. And so it's like a window of hope that we're seeing here. Um, and the thing is that I, I read that book from Paul Collier that it's called Refugee. And I learned that the um, legislation that it's uh, framing all the refugee camps or of all the refugee movement in the world came from the Second World War. So uh, we cannot be confident on the administration and the global uh, legislation being able to solve the problem now, but no matter how tight is the framework, no matter how difficult is the uh, maybe low environment in, we, in which we develop our work, things can be done. And I'm very excited to uh, make a question to you both on, can you be uh, more precise in some examples of uh, projects you are developing now? Certainly. So, so again, taking, taking that camp, I mean, and, and I fully agree with you, I think the solution and the institution that I represent, the solution we believe is through private sector development. There is a role for NGOs and governments in, in the, at the initial stage of, of receiving these migrants, but depending simply on, on those, that doesn't create that sort of economic independence that is necessary. Particularly, again, using that example of the Kakuma Kobe refugee camp in Northern Kenya, very quickly we established that there had to be a symbiotic relationship between the community that received these immigrants, the, the local town and the refugee camp. We measure the overall size of this economy about 56, 60 million dollars, out of which one third could be exclusively the, the economic benefit that could be generated in the camp and 40 million by the community in which the camp was located. And that goes from simply providing basic services to um, creating an opportunity for, for the people that live in the local community to, to work in certain construction projects. So first and foremost, when, when you have the volume of, of people and you have addressed the basic mantle pyramid of needs, food and shelter, you have to provide different ways for them to achieve that economic independence. And, and often is through finding ways for them to get access to financial resources. So rather than provide simple food, uh, just provide them with income of some form of income loans grants that allow them to create basic stores in the camp is called dukas and those dukas are are quite simple like a mom and pop store that you can find in many in many sort of cities in emerging markets that provides the people that handle those dukas which also has a another social benefit because often are are done by females it provides them a source of income and then try to build from there 
So once you have the sort of basic consumer goods, the next level that people often want in those camps is access to telecom services. So those dukas became effectively little telecom shops where people could buy SIM cards, prepaid cars, telephones, basic handsets. And yet again, that created, particularly in Kenya, a whole element of mobile fintech type of services. And then last but not least is trying to formalize those people into, into quote unquote, what we call the, the formal financial se sector. Those um, dukas or other businesses that are created, can they be registered within the Kenyan authorities? So they are part of the formal sector and therefore they have access to greater grants. Over the last 10 years, we have generated about 2,000 businesses, which again, within the context of 160,000 people, that doesn't seem to be that much, but it gives an idea of what is possible. And the next step, for instance, which is a very interesting project is based on the metrics and the analysis done by, by our teams, we believe there is a possibility to put a supermarket, a small supermarket about like 1,000 square feet into the camp. And that will capture about 30% of the demand for basic goods, fruits, vegetables, and that will generate on average another $6 million for, for the supermarket. It is an example of like micro, obviously if you were to look for big financial players going in there, the, the amounts are small, but it provides that sort of economic independence to the people in the camp and a positive interaction with the community in which the camp operates. So as you were saying, Marianne, it goes from being a burden to being something that the community that receives these migrants see them as a positive element in the economic development of that community. Well, thank you very much, uh, Carlos. So uh, you have provided a great definition of, of what can be do, uh, done at the camp level, right? And, and at the micro level. We work more also uh, on, in the site where I am in the bank at the macro level, right? And uh, many of these people that they live in refugee camps, they also offer a great set of of values and abilities to the, to the hosting population, right? So actually many of our projects, they are linked to uh, work permits in the, in, in the hosting communities, right? And uh, we believe that by default, these kind of migrations, they are seen many times as a threat to the communities. So by dealing with, uh, with both, with the hosting community and the refugee community, we try to create synergies and leverage in both because it's true that the hosting community by default, they are going to see uh, their education system affected, the health system, the infrastructure system. So for example, the facility that I was uh, explaining before, the Global Concessional Financing Facility, what it tries to do is to uh, somehow to provide concessional financing for these nations that actually what they are doing is creating a global public good because we believe that many times that is forgotten, right? That the migration of people, I mean, borders at the end of the day, they, they, are, uh, they move historically and they, they are kind of an artificial barrier to movements of people. But, uh, but uh, what this kind of transfer of funds try to do is to provide the financing for this global public good. And this is the reason why many countries 
uh, and institutions like the European Commission or, or countries like the US, for example, currently, or Canada, they have joined this effort that was triggered by the European Union and, and European countries to, to provide funds to, to, the, to, to refugees. Thank you. I, I love what you say. <laughs> I have some more ideas, but we don't have time enough. So I just really want to come to the point on how a private investor could be part of the solution. We've seen that the administration is taking uh, steps into making the refugee camps and refugees uh, a sustainable issue or even more, uh, make them part of the productivity assets of the country, of the hosting country. So how can a private investor or be part of this solution? So, so I think it's, it's different ways. I mean, and, and again, that's, that's the, the great thing to a certain extent of the World Bank ecosystem that we can operate, as Concepcion was saying, from the high level to the micro level. Uh, at the end of the day, what some of these private sector enterprises want is a scale. So once, for instance, you have uh, high coverage of mobile service or you have high mobile service penetration, Again, I'm using the Kakuma camp. At the moment, there's about 34% mobile penetration. Once you reach a similar penetration at other parts of the country, like in Kenya, it's about 84%, it offers a whole set of services from transfer of money via M-Pesa to more basic ones. One, for instance, that I think it was extremely clever was there is a, a what we call a catalog uh, seller of basic goods and wares in Kenya, which is called Copia, as in the Spanish Copiar. And they use the catalog, they send the catalog to people, but they have the small shops in which they sell their, their wares for people to buy. So very cleverly, they use these dukas I was referring to, these mom and pop stores that were all around the camp. And the camp is, is again, is, is the size of a, of a reasonable city in order to contain 160,000 people. So they have substantially increased their sales. So for them to put money into the refugee camp makes sense. However, there are challenges. What a private uh, investor in wants is adequate infrastructure, which unfortunately the camp does not have. If they're gonna put any sort of mining production or manufacturing facilities, a way to get the wares out. Right now, we're thinking about putting some form of airport near the camp. But also one of the things that is very uh, acute in the current society, we are moving towards a society of knowledge. And therefore, one of the things that often hampers the immigrants, particularly from the countries in, in the South, is the lack of access to education. So those that emigrate, and particularly the population that is in this Kakuma camp, suffers from acute levels of basic education. So therefore, it is imperative to establish some form of public private partnership that will allow NGOs to focus on provide NGOs and governmental institutions to provide that sort of basic education, but target that basic education with investors that are willing to put basic, um, again, manufacturing facilities. It's very telling like, uh, for instance, right now, Chinese companies are looking to move or they were looking prior to the pandemic of moving some of the production facilities of basic wares, shoes, ceramic, and other sort of basic which from China where the cost of labor had gone up to East Africa. Is there an opportunity to put one of these facilities provided 
that we tackle the issue around infrastructure, education in these sort of refugee camps. And we are able to help not only, as I said, the migrant community, but the broader community in which this refugee camp is. Well, uh, thank you, Carlos. That was a, a great explanation. I can tell you that from the public sector point of view, what uh, in private investors can do is uh, create jobs and demands uh, for this uh, immigrant population and demand right to the governments to have uh, regulations and, and opportunities that will foster that private sector i think many many uh, migrant uh, countries hosting countries are moving into that direction but everything that has to do with uh, demand uh, driven and um, and uh, public society demanding that has uh, uh, much more traction hmm. Well, thank you, bo you both. We have come to the end of our half an hour. I hope this format will be okay for our listeners. Although we really want to ask you more questions and know more about it, but maybe we can have another Impact Coffee and get deeper into all the solutions that you draw for us today. So thank you very much and see you next time. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you.